Welcome to the podcast of MotorWeek, television's original automotive magazine. MotorWeek is made possible by TireRack.com, RockAuto.com, and State Farm. Here's your MotorWeek podcast host, John Davis. Thank you, Alec Webb, and welcome everyone to MotorWeek podcast number 212. And we're in Studio C at MotorWeek World Headquarters. And around our table today is writer-producer Brian Robinson. Hello, John. Our online content coordinator, Greg Carlos. That's me. And our assistant road test producer, Kyle Scanlon. Hey there. We're going to talk about a couple of Porsches, a Nissan, and something really special from uh, Brian Robinson, a Ducati that he's uh, had a devil of a time with. But let's start off really with an update of of, uh, a very special car that we gave you a preview of on our previous podcast. We're talking about the Porsche Taycan, Porsche's first all-electric car. We now have more details about the car uh, than we had during our first drive. Uh, a couple of weeks ago. And for that, the person that has had the most experience with uh, actually crawling through an almost uh, production model is Greg Carlos. Take it away, Greg. All right. So, yeah, Porsche did something a little bit different with this car launch. They actually, so Garrick drove it, like we mentioned last time in Germany. I went down to their Porsche Experience Center in Atlanta, where they're based out of in North, uh, North America. And uh, we did a technical workshop, and it was about six hours of German engineers giving us every single little detail about the Taycan. And, you know, I like to think I'm a fairly smart person, but after that, I felt like I was kind of (laughs) overloaded. You didn't get the full experience. It's better after you fly overnight to Germany (laughs) and then then do that first thing in the morning. When you can't be absolutely groggy as heck. So, uh, yeah, in front of me, I actually have just pages and pages of notes. I'll try and hit the highlights, but if you have any questions, I'm sure I have the, the answer in these notes. Um, so uh, last time we had mentioned some driving impressions. Um, now we have some actual figures. Um, we'll start with the lithium-ion lithium ion battery pack, which is a 93 kilowatt hour. Um, that equals, and we don't have EPA range yet. Porsche's still waiting on it, but we do have European range uh, figures. And for the turbo model, there's actually two models, and they keep with the same naming scheme of other Porsches, Turbo and Turbo S. Um, maximum possible range is 450 kilometers, which equals 280. 280. Um, like you said, John, I think we could probably expect maybe a little bit more. Yeah, to the 300. EPA numbers are likely to be higher, so it's gonna. They had talked about being over 300 uh, mile range, and it looks like they're probably there. Um, so torque is really the big deal with uh, electric cars. And here there's up to 774 pound-feet of it in uh, overboost. Uh, Put that in perspective, that's just about what a lot of people will buy a diesel pickup truck for. Yeah, that is. A turbo diesel pickup truck. That is a ton of torque. So you can tow a trailer with it? (laughs) They actually, they did not, that's one, they did not give us that. Uh Um, So horsepower, uh, we're looking at starting at 616 base horsepower. That's base. Yeah, that's base horsepower in a Mm. turbo. That's before overboost. So you can get that for up to 10 seconds. Wow. And then when you overboost in a turbo S, you're looking at 750 horsepower, which, again, is just – for a, a ton of horsepower. This is an amazing amount of power. So, and this is not that 
big a vehicle. Actually, it, it, so it's over five thousand pounds. So it, I mean, yeah. but it's a big size vehicle. wise. Is it larger than a Panamera? It's shorter than a Panamera. So it's lower than a Panamera. Um, it's when you look at it, it's substantial. Not as yeah. big as a Panamera. You can tell that right away. But it's really wide, massive tires on the back of the Turbo S model. I think they're like three oh fives. Staggered wheels. Uh, another thing, 21-inch wheels on Turbo S, 20-inch wheels on the Turbo, which is actually what they attributed the uh, drop in ranges between the models was actually mm. mostly wheel size. Hmm. Um, so, yeah, so back to the perfor- performance stuff. With all those numbers, 616 horsepower, blah, 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 700-some pound-feet of torque, um, we're talking about zero to sixty times of two point six seconds in Turbo S models. So motorcycle grade, high, you know, performance motorcycle grade acceleration, and that's using launch control, which I experienced, which is kind of funny in a uh, electric vehicle because I was expecting when the uh, the test driver did it, when you do it in any other Porsche, you, the revs climb up to five thousand. It's an experience. This. I was ready, and then just like nothing really happened except a ding, and then you just take off like a bat out of hell. It's pretty wild. It, are they? Excuse me. Are they calling this a hypercar? They are not calling it a hypercar. They they kept using the term sports car, um, supercar, sports car, sports car. Yeah, they're not even calling okay. it supercar because they just. I mean, I think they. While well, it's so great that it, that it's an EV, it's the first one for Porsche. It, at the end of the day, it's a Porsche. It's a performance car i don't think they want to like sell it as their 918 because which is a hyper car Mm -hmm. um but it's just a very very good performance porsche and it's a very good porsche that just happens to be electric Hmm. i've heard that the center of gravity is low is that (laughs) it it is low lower (laughs) than a 911 Uh, actually the lowest uh, in the porsche lineup uh, is it a hatchback like the panamera or sedan or or what is it Uh. the um no, I, it's, it's a, it's a, no it's, it's it a, is yeah it's a trunk yeah. it's a regular it's a regular trunk because it's a traditional sedan it's a yeah it's, it's a traditional sedan so, so okay. you have the front storage in the in the front a frunk as you may call it which is actually slightly smaller than a 911 because of the electric motor up front right. and then you go to the back and it's actually pretty big you can fit uh, two full size golf bags in there which is what they said was the the uh, range they were shooting for in America because we it's got a, a golf beautiful oh. coupish roof. Did you fit in it? Uh, yeah, I sat in the back, and in America they'll have the glass roof, which uh-huh. is this the standard roof. Uh, I fit fine back there. I mean, there's tight, headrooms a little bit tight, but I'm also six three. I'm taller than the average person. You know, I haven't heard anybody talk about price. No they pricing. I mean, no pricing, has anybody yeah. got a guess? Is this a two hundred thousand dollar car? One fifty? I mean, a standard nine eleven is now one hundred grand. Uh, nobody even mentioned the word of I, price. Okay, it was all about uh, all about horsepower and yeah. uh, performance. I have to say, next to a, a Tesla model, I think this has been the most uh, anticipated electric car yeah. that I can think of. I want, yeah, just one more thing I wanted to say about it before we move on to the nine eleven. Um, we sat in, and actually, we were the first ones to see the into. Even Garrick didn't see the, uh, the unveiled interior. interior. Yeah, and it's pretty pretty wild looking. Um, the screen, the the IP doesn't have a hood over it. Where every basically every car, you have like a sun screen over mm-hmm. the top. This is um, it's not OLED, but it's actually a curved, which to their knowledge is the first curved IP in the industry. Digital IP. Digital IP. Mm-hmm. It's fully digital, but like. Um, uses analog touches so it looks like it's analog but it's actually digital there's actually touch uh features on the outside of it 
and then this, you have your center screen, a 10.9-inch center screen, and then an optional 10.9-inch passenger screen, huh. no which, has, which has all the functionality of the other one, but it's just for the passenger to use because they realize that the, the driver might want navigation up all the time, but they want the, the passenger wants to listen to music or change some of the other settings. But with no hood, glare? I mean, I guess you... I asked about that. Yeah. That was the, one of the first things I asked about. They claim that because of the curved shape and the way that their screen technology is, mm. that their glare is not wow. a problem. Wow, wow, wow. <laughs> All right, well, why don't you tell us the uh, the more earthbound uh, 9-11 <laughs> I don't know how much more earthbound it is because yeah. we're talking 2.6 seconds to 60 in a Taycan. I hit three seconds flat in a 9-11. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it's I, I compare this 9-11, and everybody else can chime in because I think we all drove it. Um, I compared it to the GTS of the 991 generation because uh, around a racetrack, I mean, it's just – it's as solid as it gets, and this is really just a step above an entry-level 911 Carrera. Yeah, well, it is the only one you they right don't now. Have the yeah. Base, yeah, the base uh, is not out. They make you buy the S first uh, this time around. But yeah, I mean, it's our. It's one of those cars you drive, and then you sit around the next couple of hours trying to find one thing that you don't like about it. Three, uh, uh, three liter turbo six, four hundred forty three horsepower, eight speed PDK. Yeah, so they added a gear. It was seven speed before, mm-hmm. and now it's an eight speed, which. I found it um, at Summit Point where we drove it on the big course. I actually left it shift to shift itself um, for a couple of reasons. Um, didn't necessarily like the feel of the paddle shifters, and the gearing was just odd. I think it was because I haven't driven this specific transmission on this track, so I just couldn't find my gearing the mm. way I wanted it to. But it did so well on its own. I didn't feel the need to it trigger does. any shit. It knows better than you yeah. do. Yeah. Yeah. Did it Did it surprise you with mid-corner gear changes or anything else? Yeah, like oh, there was a ton of them. That's yeah. because there's, I mean, there's eight, eight gears, gears, so yeah. it's like constantly doing something. Um, are you saying like surprise me as yeah. in I wasn't ready for it or it was yeah. so good that it like you weren't ready for it. Threw yeah. you off your mark. Early, yeah, of course, early on, the first, like, maybe handful of laps, I'm but getting once used, you got to, used it. to it. But, yeah, once you get used to it, and it's just consistent. I mean, if there was, as, if there was a mid-corner upshift on one of the tight S's on the first lap, there was the same exact shift 10 laps later, mm-hmm. 20 laps later. They're really consistent. As Very long consistent. as I'm driving somewhat consistent. <laughs> well, how do we uh, transition from – this and both those Porsches to our next car. Uh, one of the things we pride ourselves here at Motor Week is basically stepping back from each vehicle and putting it in uh, its own class. We're now going to talk about the 2020 Nissan Versa. So we've gone from a 3-liter turbo H6 to a 1.6-liter normally aspirated I4. Uh, 122 horsepower. Yeah, baby. So, you know, it's like... <laughs> All those ponies. <laughs> almost a fourth, you know, down uh, 114 pound-feet of torque. That's, a CVT. Yeah, that takes about 70 horsepower yeah. out of it right there. <laughs> uh, however, uh, when I went out to um, drive it for the first time, what struck me is here's another example of why the midsize sedan is dying You've got this was a subcompact. It looks as big as I recall the last Sentra compact looking, if not a little larger. And you could be mistaken if you're more than a couple hundred feet away thinking this is quite a large car. Yeah. Um, 
Now, this particular one we have is the, in for testing is their four-door. I was pretty impressed. They've revamped the interior. Uh, it's, it still has a lot of manual controls. But the Versa has always had, among its class, a lot of available technology. And this one's got all the, um, the newest automated safety features you could find. So I was pretty impressed. I remember when the Versa Note came out that was like you could get a round view monitor yeah, and you that, couldn't get it for like anything eighteen thousand bucks <laughs> yeah and it's like you still can't get eighty thousand dollar luxury cars with it yeah. so that thing was way ahead of its time it used to be the cheapest car you could buy it still starts at fourteen seven. i can't believe that's right yeah. but um that's, that is yeah so i actually wrote that down that was a five-speed manual right. low as possible. Well, yeah, Good luck yeah. finding one. But Yeah, but I think the Mitsubishi Mirage is like thirteen nine ninety five. So yeah, I think you're right. That one's still cheaper. But uh, there's still a, one, there's a, there's a five-door and a four-door, right? I, I'm not sure. Not, if the five-door is coming back, we would have to ask Stephanie on that one because yeah, yeah, yeah. she actually went to the event. But I know they're not. If it does come back, they're not calling it the Note anymore. Mm-hmm. I didn't hear that. But, right now, I think it's just the four-door yeah. Versa. I'm sure they'll have a. Five. I can't believe I they won't have that. But anyway, the one we have in is like twenty grand, so wow, it's, a lot it's of money, far huh? from the base uh, model. But it's uh, it's a decent car. Yeah, I mean, it's it's hard to go from what we were just talking about to this one, and I think we have that. Pro- every auto journalist, but I think yeah, has I mean, the that's same part of our job like is to be able to do that. That's yeah, right. and I and I I am actually fine with how it drives. I mean, I actually enjoyed driving it on a back road um, the other day. It feels really light. You can toss it around and not have to worry about getting into too much trouble. So, uh, yeah, it's for for transportation and for the type of buyer that is likely going to buy this. You can't beat the tech for the price, honestly. Yeah, it was pretty quiet. I mean, it was great. If you, you know, if you're the kind of buyer that buys a vehicle as an appliance that you want to drive back and forth every day, uh, it's very comfortable and uh, it would be a good choice. Nissan always has comfortable seats. Yeah, they do. yeah, yeah Zero right gravity. now, right now it's only in the uh, sedan, the one we have. But I'm sure they've got probably something else waiting in the wings. Uh, but pretty impressed for the money. Yeah, I think it's a everybody good agrees. Car. Okay, we're going to move on now to a little something different. Um, I basically set you up before Brian Robinson. Brian Uh Robinson, for those of you that may not catch all of our program, he is our motorcycle expert, and he's had a Ducati that's uh, a little devilish, so take it away. Yeah, uh, the uh, Diavel 1260S. Uh, If you remember when the Diavel first came out, it was kind of cruiser-ish. Ducati wouldn't call it a cruiser, but... Uh, the cruisers are the biggest sellers here in the U.S., and uh, it had every aspect of their you know high performance bikes in a much more comfortable package. And a couple years later, then they actually made a one called the X Diavel, which is was even more cruiserish. Anyway, this is the second generation of the Diavel, and uh, pretty much the same as as the first. Um, is Insanely, insanely fast, but in a very comfortable uh, daily driver package. It's it's designed at older riders who tired of folding themselves around sport bikes, but still want that acceleration feel and uh, a lot of the performance. Uh, it's a great bike. Starts at twenty grand. Obviously, that's pricey, but Ducati is they're kind of like the Subaru of of the two wheeled world. Their sales are going up month over month for years now, uh, much like Subaru has in the car segment. And a lot of it is just because offering things like this, you just can't get anywhere else. All right. I'm not a biker, as you yes. know. I nearly kill myself on them. 
<laughs> I thought I had this bike. I, that's, that's all part of it, John. So you are a biker. Bikers do that. <laughs> I thought I think this is one of the most beautiful, striking bikes I have ever seen. It's, you, you said that not everybody. Yeah, it's funny. Like when it. you said that, it's like a lot of people are very anti the looks. It's, it's, it's really hard to describe. Um, it's like a bat. It's a Batmobile. Italian cycle. style. But, you know, it's got a lot of Italian flair to it. A lot of uh, – most people don't realize Ducati's actually owned by Audi. So, they, you know, they, they uh, pioneered all the LED lighting stuff. So it's got tons of cool LED lighting stuff. Um, it's got a really small – uh, TFT gauge panel, but it's it's almost just like Audi cars. It's like packed full of so much info. You would think it would be hard to read or hard to use, but it's just super simple. Uh, can can you what does it compete against? BMWs? It's hard to no. BMW doesn't really have anything. Um, there's a whole like power cruiser, uh, like the Harley V Rod when that was out there. Um, you know, cruisers that add a lot more performance, but this kind of goes at it from the other direction. It's a high performance sport bike that just made a little cruiser ish. Is this, would you buy this bike if you could? I mean, I'd buy one of every bike if I could, right. uh, this would be in my top, uh, maybe five, no, top that's five, pretty, that's you know, pretty high price. It wouldn't be like are you thinking because you want to go fast? Do you like the style? Like, what is it that puts it in your top five? Because it's yeah, it's just an amazing amount of performance in a comfortable bike you can ride every day, and it's got riding modes that you can you know it, it becomes docile if you want to be docile. Sport mode is hyper aggressive. Um, yeah, cool. And it just sounds like it's, a Ferrari. So. Yeah. Sounds like a Ferrari. I need, I need, I need to hear it because go. I came there into you your go. office yesterday and like yeah. was right after he said he liked it. And yeah. I was like, I don't really like the way it looks. Yeah. Just kind of – I think the proportion – I'm not and I'm, I'm not a huge bike person either. But the proportions are kind of weird. Like like I mentioned, the, the fuel tank looks massive uh, on yeah. It. it. Yeah, but it's more than a fuel tank. It's got air scoops on both sides of it uh, that feed right into the fuel injection. So okay. it's not all tank. Thanks, Brian. I, I think it's 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 kind of cool to actually talk about uh, two wheels on uh, the podcast once in a while. We don't do that often enough, especially something is so, so unusual. Okay, lightning round. 30 seconds we have to discuss a topic, and maybe Greg will hit the bell and maybe he won't. Um, we have a recent feature on Motor Week that talks about just how much traffic there is out there. And probably this is not a great big, you know, surprise to anybody, but you might be surprised at some of the numbers. According to AAA, Americans spend $70 billion, that's B, hours behind the wheel each year, and most of that time is stuck in traffic. So the question is, maybe to this group, are is it going to get worse? Do you think it'll ever get better? Is there anything out there that may solve it? Uh, what is a nation we need to do? You know, it, this is uh, we we talk every week about how much fun it is to drive, but it sure ain't no fun sitting in traffic. Well, the more time I sit in traffic, the more time I have to play on my phone. So I'm okay. With it. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I have another. Ins- I don't know if it's going to get. I imagine it's going to get worse. Everything yeah. gets worse. Nothing gets better, right? <laughs> Man, that's but- a great outlook. <laughs> <on my head. laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> but on a positive note, <laughs> but I'll, I'll, I have a different like traffic type issue. I don't know why I would use the word problem, but with everyone's GPS and ways and everything, it's opened up a lot of ways 
that, hey. That's oh, why they call that, it that. <laughs> that people didn't use, like little roads through neighborhoods that people would, would drive around because they didn't know it cut through yeah. to another road. So you have these quiet residential streets with 25-mile-an-hour speed limits and kids playing all over the place. And now all of a sudden it's a highway every morning because people are cutting through driving 60 uh, to to get to work because of all the because of all the traffic that everyone's sitting on the other roads so it's really changed things as far as neighborhoods i think that's why we're seeing so many speed bumps crop up robinson's just out there trying to mow his grass shirtless like the rest of us and he's got a whole (laughs) lot of traffic going in front of his house (laughs) there's an interesting screensaver that's been popping up on my computer the last couple days and it was talking about uh, some of the traffic jams in Italy, and unlike the U.S., the Italians actually seem to be building roads and bridges and so forth to kind of alleviate it. Um, we've not seen any movement. I mean, the point of our piece, one of the comments from the AAA expert was, you know, the federal government's not really doing anything to alleviate it because building, you know, more highways is actually very unpopular with a lot of people that are environmentalists, yet that's what we all need. And of course, it takes years to build a highway, and by the time you build it, it's overloaded. So, I, you know, short term, I personally think if we ever see a world where we've got a lot of autonomous vehicles and ride sharing, maybe that'll help. But it comes down to you and me and everybody else. We don't want to give up our cars. That's really what it is. Yeah, that's true. That's a good point. I I don't see it getting any better soon in theory, like you said. Yeah. Uh, Autonomy should Fix it. Should fix well. It should it help. Could um, help. Yeah. yeah. Because the idea. Is, <laughs> well, that's what I'm saying. Brian Robinson. She would have the cars that they, if they're all synchroed, and we're talking maybe 50 years from now, they would follow each other so close right. you could pack more cars and, in. Well, and a big part of it too is just waiting for accidents. Accidents happen all the time. I can't tell you how many times I'm driving home on 70, which is just a straight highway, mm-hmm. and people find a way to crash into each other. And <laughs> it's amazing. And it's usually somebody either on their phone or just in too big a hurry. There was an interesting survey years ago that said most traffic jams are caused by 5% of the drivers, mm-hmm. you know, that, that they either go, well, we need to find them and get, <laughs> get them off, yeah. get them in autonomous yeah. cars. Yeah. That's the people. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we better get out of this. <laughs> All right. Viewer question from David. He's a longtime viewer. Thank you, David, very much. And he has an observation related to a complaint. David bought a new Accord and found that the front passenger seat was miserable to sit in. In all of his years of watching Motor Week, he's never seen us sit in the passenger seat. Why is that? Well, quick, that's a very good question. Quick, easy answer, too. Uh, it's hard to drive from there. <laughs> <laughs> I can remember uh, a couple of uh, when uh, a certain, um, well, it was a Honda Odyssey came out. And we raved about the vehicle. Uh, it was probably two, three generations ago. And we actually had one in here for a year. And on some trip, my wife took over the driving, and I got in the passenger seat, and I couldn't believe it. It was cramped. There was a hump in the floor. It was uncomfortable. And it's like, David, I'm afraid you're right. Uh, it, it's often up to our spouses or our children who end up riding in the passenger seats because we're too busy in the driver's seat trying to figure out what the vehicle's like. Yeah, you know, it's a good point. Yeah, that's exactly why I picked this question because I think he raises a fair point. Um, We uh, we have our long term Rav Four Hybrid, which I really like. 
Um, but there is a difference in the 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 um, front driver's seat yep. and the in the passenger seat because the passenger seat is mechanically adjusted mm-hmm. yep. while the driver's seat is nice and you would never know yeah. until like you said your wife or yeah. your your husband or whoever and sits it doesn't in that have front as seat. much adjustment yeah not as I drove it today and I sat in the passenger seat of that car today and while you were driving it you know, that it was, was really it was a trip. Really impressive it's what it, cruise controls for long longer than I thought. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, no, there, there is a noticeable difference between being in the driver's seat and being a passenger. So it, he definitely raises a, a good point. T- what a, a technical answer beyond uh, Robinson's snarky <laughs> answer. Uh-huh. Uh, so when, when you're shooting television and you see the driver get in from the driver's side, if you were to flip around and shoot the passenger side, it actually kind of breaks one of the rules of filming where you cross over the cross line your and you're looking in the wrong direction. So that, you know, I, I really kind of hate to say it, well, is a little bit of it. That's why they always put a reverse angle on the, during the <laughs> yeah. football games. Yeah. Yeah. So you we know. could do that. I think but we should I, add it to a road test I, I actually and think call it the, the David, the David test. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, I I it really a is a fair idea. point. It is. Uh, uh, David, we will be more mindful of that in the future. And if we even if we don't show it, uh, we'll try and work in some comments when we find something really egregious. There's one aspect that about this that that we haven't gotten into rant and rave, so maybe we'll transition to that. I am absolutely bugged by a manufacturer. I don't care who it is, Toyota, anybody. And they give you a top trim level, and they've got every bell and whistle on this car that you could possibly imagine. But because of the market, some marketing guy has decided it's in, they don't give you power adjustments or as much power adjustment on the passenger seat as you have on the driver. What is the big deal about putting height control on the passenger side? Passengers don't like to either sit way low or way high like anybody else, uh, like a, you know, same as a driver. And it just drives me crazy. And I've asked when cars have been redone and he asked the manufacturer, oh, why don't you have it over there? Well, this particular segment doesn't have it. But why? Yeah, that doesn't answer my question. Doesn't answer yeah. the question. You could basically be a market leader and well, force everybody else to have. I asked a similar question uh, one time on a to be unnamed uh, brands event, and one of, one of the engineers and his answer was, "Well, that would would required a lot of additional engineering." <laughs> what for the stuff you've got, already you've got have sorry. mechanism yeah. for the seat isn't that what you guys do is additional engineering I don't well, know. the, maybe, the yeah. buttons have to go on the other yeah, side flipping of the, the seat motor 100 hey, maybe, maybe we have maybe david has helped us find a new soapbox you know equal treatment for the passenger yeah. oh we can get a hashtag Ooh. trending about this oh yes <laughs> passengers get ready passengers unite yeah. front seat passengers unite demand equal treatment we'll find it gosh it's probably even a, a lawsuit in there somewhere. Oh, boy. Thank you, David. And thanks, everybody, for listening to our Motor Week podcast number 122. Uh, I'd like to thank everybody around the table today, Brian Robinson, Greg Carlos, and Kyle Scanlon. Thank you for listening to us. Thank you for watching Motor Week on public television stations around the country and on the Motor Trend Cable Network. Thanks to our audio engineer, Jim Bigwood. Of course, Greg Carlos is our producer and our podcast creator, Bob Mix. Till next time, I'm John Davis. Thanks for all of your support and for listening in. And thanks for just being a part of Motor Week. Passengers are people, too. <laughs> You've been listening to the podcast of Motor Week, television's original automotive magazine. Motor Week is made possible by TireRack.com, RockAuto.com, and State Farm. 
for additional information on podcasts, videos, and showtimes, visit our website at motorweek.org. And watch Motorweek, television's longest-running automotive magazine series, each week on your local PBS station.